0: Hello and welcome to the podcast UFO Warning. In this episode, we're taking a look at the legend of Endred Cold. That's correct, a legend of Endred Cold. Now, this was basically a situation where uh, a gentleman by the name of Woodrow Darenberger had a interaction with what I can only describe as an ET. It's almost, it's this thing was almost like some sort of entity that was. Uh, trying trying to appear to be human, I think. It has all the markings of artificial intelligence where you end up with this, I don't know, if you'd call it a robot, humanoid, whatever. It appears human, it acts human, but it has little things about it that tell you that it's actually not human. You know, something we refer to as the uncanny valley, and that's where something looks very close to being human, but it's not quite there, the feeling you get when you see one of these uh, humanoid robots, that's a really good representation, but it's just not quite there. Also, you kind of get that feeling when you're using chat GPT. This thing can use human language, but it's not human. And as you begin to converse with it, you, you you, start to pick up on this where it almost seems, yes, it's got all this information. It could be so intelligent, but at the same time, it could be so... Uh, Emotionally and socially, it's just it's just dumb. And I see that with this creature that Mr. Derenberger has encountered here on the highway with this UFO uh, landing that he observed. This thing's asking him questions, but it's standing there, it's got its arms crossed, hands tucked up under its armpits, and this uh, perma-smile, it never stops smiling, and it's conversing with him telepathically, so it's just... Almost as if it's pretending to be a human, as it asking these, you know, somewhat socially awkward, awkward questions. Now, I found this article from DailyYonder.com, written by Liz Carey from December 3rd, 2021. The title says "Local Lore: Woodrow Derenberger, and the Legend of Endured Cold," and then the subtitle says "An unsettling encounter on a f- road in rural West Virginia was." Be- was a beginning of a rural legend and a personal tragedy for the man involved. Now, you, I will put a link at the Buy Me a Coffee website, and I'll tweet it out. There's about a 30-minute interview on there that I guess occurred the day after this encounter. And it's got a photograph there of uh, Mr. Derenberger being interviewed. I think he was around 50 at the time of uh, the incident. I listened to the... Uh, interview, and he seems very sincere, and I just can't imagine why somebody would subject themselves to all this possible ridicule. Remember, this is back in 1966, so he probably wouldn't have gotten a a lot of support for what was going on there, even though maybe it was West Virginia people were more open to that idea. It turns out that after he did uh, go public with what happened to him, other people came forward and said that they had similar uh, similar encounters, and also keep in mind this would have been, I believe, right about the same time as uh, the Mothman uh, encounters, and that's had a lot of coverage over there, pretty famous encounters, and I believe this is right the time frame um, possibly just before the, there was, I can't think of the name of the bridge, but there was a bridge that uh, failed down there in West Virginia over this icy river, and as I recall, there were 44 fatalities with that—men, women, and children. So it was—it was a nationally known tragedy. Uh, something terrible had happened, and so over the years, a lot of people have uh, kind of connected the appearance of the Mothman with this, with with something, you know, like a pin, impending doom. Like maybe it was trying to warn people. We don't know. But Andrew uh, Cold's kind of been ignored through all of this. So I think it's important to note that there were actually two uh, paranormal entities that made contact with people before this uh, tragic event. So whether there's some sort of uh, energy involved in that tragedy, I mean, some sort of terrible negativity that draws these things in through some kind of portal, I don't know, or whether they were actually there to help people. At this point, I haven't heard any stories of Mothman or Ingrid Gold saying, hey, stay off the bridge. So it's just maybe there just, they're just happened to be two things that happened at about the same time and there's no relation at all. Who's to say? Anyway, the article goes on. It starts off. It says, Things always seem mysterious on chilly fall nights in the country. For for Woodrow Durenberger, his mysterious encounter with an almost human grinning man on the back roads of West Virginia one November night would affect him and his family for almost a quarter of a century. I like the fact that they use the term almost human there. In 1966, Woodrow Derenberger was a sewing machine salesman living in Mineral Wells, West Virginia. One November night that year, Derenberger said he was returning from a business trip to Marietta, Ohio, when he had to stop to adjust a sewing machine in the back of his truck. Once he got back on the road, he noticed lights ahead of him. Thinking the lights were police officers, he stopped only to discover that the lights didn't belong to a car, but to what he said was an aircraft that looked like a kerosene lamp chimney, quote-unquote. Derenberger said a man stepped out and approached his truck. Now, this is weird. I mean, he's driving along this highway. This is 1966. I'm imagining this is West Virginia. There aren't a lot of lights along that highway. He sees this light, thinking it's a, it's a, it's a police uh, officer, maybe an ambulance or something. It's been an accident. Who knows? And what he sees, though, is not a police officer. What he sees is this, is this craft... Landing on the highway, now, that's a weird feeling. That's kind of similar to the experience that I had. You know, he saw these lights. So I thought, "Wow, that looks like there must be some sort of uh, an emergency up ahead, or this is a, there's a helicopter medevac landing up there, or something." Only to see this UFO that clearly wasn't anything of this world. Of course, this is 1966. I, I can only imagine the shock. He says, "Quote. He looked." Think, so he gets out of the car, then he sees this man step out. He says, quote, he looked perfectly natural and normal as any human being, Durenberger told the Ronald Mains during an interview on WTAP-TV in Parkersburg, West Virginia, the day after the counter encounter. His face looked like he had a good tan, a deep suntan. He was not too dark, but it was just like he had been out in the sun a lot and had a good tan. His hair was combed straight back, and it was dark brown, and he seemed to have a good thick head of hair. His eyebrows, his face, his features were very normal. I don't believe that he looked any different from any other man that you would meet on the street. But he wasn't normal, Derenberger said. He had a large grin and kept his arms folded with his hands up under his armpits. And although he spoke to Derenberger, his smile never moved. He smoked, Derenberger said, telepathically. This is fascinating to me that even though he looked normal, you know, even without telepathic speech, Derenberger had picked up on something. This thing wasn't really human. Of course, he didn't need someone to tell him that it wasn't human once he started to be able to communicate with this entity back and forth telepathically. It says, he asked me to roll in the window on my right-hand vehicle on my truck, and i done what he asked, Derenberger said during the interview, and this man stood there, and he first asked me, what I was called, and I know he met my name, and I told him my name, and he asked me, he said, Why are you frightened? He said, Don't be frightened. We wish you no harm. He said, We mean you no harm. We wish you only happiness. And I told him my name, and when I told him my name, he said he was called Cold. It was Derenberger's and the world's introduction to the entity known as Indrid Cold. Naturally, Derenberger reported his encounter to the Parkersburg police. By the next day, the media frenzy surrounding the story took off. Derenberger agreed to be interviewed on live television on WTAP. Taking part in the interview were members of the state police, representatives of the Wood County Airport, the Parkersburg police, and a representative from the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. For 30 minutes, the men peppered Derenberger with questions about the strange encounter. Sounds to me like there was an awful lot of interest in this thing. Awful lot. And I think it's noticeable that somebody from Wright-Patterson was down there because the, the, that's the name that always comes up when they talk about where these wrecked UFOs go at. It says, After the interview aired, however, others came forward with claims that they also had seen a figure march, matching Darren Berger's description of, a, of injured cold. One man reported that a man... Matching intercultural description, tried to flag him down, but he was too afraid to stop. Other, ple- other people claimed to see lights and fluttering vehicles on the road Derenberger said he he talked to Cold on, and several witnesses reported they had seen Derenberger stopped on the road talking to a man on the same road. For the next three weeks, newspapers in the area ran stories about Derenberger's claim and the claims of others. News coverage eventually died down, but Cold's visitations continued. Derenberger reported, he was visited often by the strange, grinning man over the course of the next month. Eventually, Derenberger's family said they too had seen cold and other strange things. Now, in the interview that took place the day after the first visit, uh, Derenberger told the interviewer that this entity, Andrew Cold, said, we'll be back to talk to you. And he asked him how he felt about that. And he said, you know, basically said, well, he was a little bit afraid. I and, mean, you know, he had some questions he would ask him. Naturally, the media attention given to the story brought locals to Derenberger's house hoping to get a glimpse glimpse of cold. The attention, as well as the scorn and ridicule he was suffering from, led Derenberger to seek medical attention. His physician gave him a clean bill of health and and found no evidence of chemical imbalance or disruption. So in other words, this is a normally healthy man, healthy physically and mentally. He's not using drugs, but he's under so much pressure. He's being depersoned so intensely that it sounds like he's beginning to have acute anxiety from it. Although he wrote a book about his visits, nothing good came from Derenberger's recounting of his encounter. In fact, he didn't just it didn't just negatively affect him, but it affected his family and his friends as well. The family received years of harassing phone calls and blamed lost jobs and friends on Derenberger's tales of inbred gold. Derenberger suffered from painful headaches and depression, and eventually his wife divorced him. Derenberger moved away from the area to escape his notoriety. Now, think about this. you, you Consider the ill health effects he suffered in light of what we talked about in the podcast a couple of times here with the experiments done in Berkeley where I think it was reported, was it 125 or 150 people? had reportedly died from contacts with these UFOs. They'd brought these people in, the DOD had, that had had close contact with UFOs or UFO metamaterial, and then they'd become ill from it, and they were running these tests on them, and they were were showing they clearly were injured. Remember how uh, the scientist leading the test, as soon as he started to note the similarities and correlations with the Havana Syndrome, they shut the whole thing down. So clearly these things have a dark side to them, where sometimes when people come in contact, close contact with these UFOs or aliens, that they develop serious, if not terminal, uh, health conditions. It says, Since then, Derenberger's account has lingered, propelling Injured Cole into the realm of rural myths and legends, as well as into tales of the creepy and unknown. After Derenberger spoke to John Keel, the author of The Mothman Prophecies, the legend of Endred Cole was linked to Mothman, even so far as appearing in the 2002 mothman prophecies movies it is difficult to tell if it really happened," said brian dunning author of skeptoid magazine but it's clear that darenberger gained nothing from coming forward who knows what actually happened to darenberger on that strange night dunning said darenberger's story did little for him his obsession with it cost him his job and his wife and according to keel who visited him who visited him a year later they found him hiding behind drawn curtains from what he believed were hundreds of UFOs, believers, and skeptics, saying that it cold, and his friends frequently visited the farm, often arriving by automobile for long, friendly chats. He had almost certainly become delusional. Well, That's what they labeled him, delusional, mentally ill, deeply disturbed. Nobody apparently thought to ask him to keep a recorder around the house when they visited. It was just... Much easier to deperson this poor man. It says, cold November nights on lonely roads will always be a good setting for mysterious encounters, Dunning said. Rural areas are always the best place for creepy tale, he said. It's dark, there are trees and murky creeks, and you are far from, comfort, from the comforting protection of lights and people. Well, certainly Mr. Derenberger was far from the comforting protection of people. They just simply th- found it so much easier to deperson this man who had this strange story to tell about his one-on-one conversation with this entity, how it returned multiple times over the years. Looks like he—it looks like he lost his relationships. His wife left him, and from what I've read, he moved back to the area and, and passed away there in nineteen uh, ninety-three, I believe, at the age of seventy-three. I think it said. So, money wouldn't have been the motivation. Fame wouldn't be the motivation for something like this. He's had this strange, uh, paranormal, I guess you could even say supernatural uh, encounter. And he's simply trying to resolve what happened. And he tried to resolve what happened by telling other people what happened. And instead of being able to resolve it, uh, he got the opposite of resolution. He got confusion. He He became a social outcast. It was really kind of a sad tale of what happened in this particular situation. Now, I want to take one more look at this and see how this kind of fits in with this whole Mothman thing. So I want to finish up with this second article here. It's kind of a personal account of somebody that lived in the area. and talks about their perspective of it, which I think is always fun to get an eyewitness view of things, of how they see it from the outside in, even if it's from a few years later. Now, this article is from exemplar.com. the title says "True Mysteries of Time and Space: Mothman and Indrid Cold," written by Cindy Perinumer, August 1st, 2022, and she's got a nice picture of her husband or there in front of this Mothman statue at Point Pleasant, West Virginia. It it really has been commercialized quite a bit, but you know, I guess whatever people you know want to deal with is fine. It starts off. She says a brief history. I grew up an hour away from Point Pleasant in the city of Parkersburg, West Virginia. I wasn't around for the events of 1966 and 67, but I've been familiar with the stories as long as I can remember. One of the most credible sources for information was my father, who spent most of his adult life serving in the West Virginia State Police Department. So she's talking about her dad, who is a state police officer. This is what you would consider a reliable witness, or maybe even an expert witness. I mean, you you take a law enforcement officer, especially state police, and you put him under oath at... You know, on the stand in a court case, and it's considered pretty solid evidence. So when these guys tell me they've seen something, I really pay attention. It says my dad didn't believe in hocus pocus, UFOs, or anything else he couldn't explain. That being said, he related stories of the Mothman sightings as though he believed that there was something to them. He also spoke of Woodrow Derenberger's encounters with injured cold. Again, he would say that he believed that something had happened to Derenberger on I-77. He just didn't know what. He never met any of the parties involved, personally, but he'd spoken to many of his fellow officers who were familiar with the case. My father was born a skeptic. I knew that if he had no evidence for the phenomena that occurred when he was a young state trooper, then then there had to be something to the stories. I would soon learn that perhaps the numerous eyewitnesses in Point Pleasant and Parkersburg had experienced things that cannot be explained by conventional wisdom. She goes on, she says, Was the Mothman an omen of disaster? Even though the Mothman was known to haunt the area of Point, of Point Pleasant, Galapagos, in the 60s, it is, also said, it is also said to have resided in Parkersburg from time to time. A mysterious winged creature larger than any bird native to West Virginia has reportedly been seen in an area known as Quincy Hill. So what she's telling you is this mothman, or something like this mothman, has been around for a long time. It did just happen to show up just before that bridge collapse. But the idea that this thing was there has been witnessed many times. Sporadic sightings used to occur, but I have not heard of any in recent years. For those who used to report seeing winged creatures the multitude of chemical factors in the area, nicknamed Chemical Value Chemical Valley, added to their fears. Some of them worried the Mothman, if that is what they were seeing, may have been may have been warning of a disaster on the horizon. Now we have heard about this area. Apparently it was a heavily industrialized area with a lot of of uh, environmental damage in the area. Some people thought, well maybe this was this Mothman was some sort of uh, Mutated bird, uh, maybe you know something happened. Other people just thought maybe uh, all these chemicals together just created such a toxic environment that it encouraged something like this to happen. On April 27, 1978, a cooling tower collapsed at Pleasant Power Pleasant Power Station on Willow Island, just outside of Parkersburg. The death toll was devastating. 51 workers were killed when the scaffolding fell. My, that must have been horrible. I remember my best friend being called out of class that day. We didn't know what had happened, but we knew it was bad. There was a flurry of activity in the hallways. Teachers were leading distraught students to the office. My friend, whose father worked on Willow Island, was told about the collapse. Fortunately, her dad had not been injured. Other students were not so lucky. I have heard from several people over the years that the Mothman was seen on Quincy Hill around this time. I don't know if it's true or local legend, all I do know is, foretold or not, it was a horrible tragedy that caused many local farmers families rather untold grief and hardship. She then says the nightmare of the sleepy town of Point Pleasanton, West Virginia, would begin on the night of november 12, sixty six. So this would have been this would have been right after, I suppose, yeah, about the same time that, that Ingrid Cole was spotted. The nightmare for the sleepy town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, would begin on the night of November 12, 1966. It was then that five men who were digging graves in the local cemetery claimed to have witnessed something they couldn't identify flying over their heads. The grave the diggers reported the creature they saw was the size of a man with some human facial features, but the similarities ended there. Unlike any man they'd ever seen, the thing was black as night with a wingspan of around 10 feet, eyes glowing red like two hot coals. This is the same sort of almost demonic description that we see of the Mothman that comes up over and over. Even recently, I think as late as like 2009 or 2012 in Chicago, the same was spotted. Same same exact description. The men who, the men who watched in amazement as the bird-like creatures swooped down from the treetops and circled them from above before disappearing into the darkness. They would soon discover that they weren't the only ones who had seen the mysterious night flyer. Various people in the surrounding area began to report strikingly similar encounters. The creature seemed to be making its rounds all over town, although witness accounts varied, varied. Everyone seemed to agree that the being with blazing red eyes possessed wings that stretched out like blankets in the sky. Some of the witnesses were sure that what they had seen had been a winged man, while others identified it as a bird larger than they had ever seen before still others described it as something in between a human and an animal so see we're all kind of we're all kind of programmed to see things uh, in our own way a way that would a way that's explainable for us it says the sightings would continue for several months some people would claim to have been chased by the creature barely escaping with their lives other on several other occasions it was seen flying high above houses and treetops as it quietly observed the onlookers below no one knew where the unwanted visitor would show up next or what it was doing in their otherwise peaceful community. That is, that is until tragedy struck. Then it says, Tragedy strikes the Silver Bridge connected to the town of Point Pleasant with its sister city in Gallipolis, Ohio. On December 15, 1967, the suspension bridge was packed bumper to bumper with rush hour traffic. Christmas was around the corner and other lanes were lined, and both lanes were lined with shoppers and commuters alike as they tried to make their way home. For many among them, it was not to be. So that's the bridge um, collapse I was talking about, which would have happened what six months, less than a year after Mr. Derenberger saw the uh, Indrid Cold, and then he says Endrid Cold came back and spoke with him several more times. But we're never really told if he was specifically warned about the bridge. Now it says, before anyone realized what was happening, the bridge suddenly collapsed under the weight of the idling vehicles. 75 cars plunged into the icy waters of the Ohio River. It was all over in a matter of seconds. 46 people lost their lives that day. See, I thought it was 44, but it says 46. The tragedy remains to this day one of the worst bridge disasters in U.S. history. The communities of Point Pleasant and Galapagos, were both devastated by the loss. So C. S. see this poor town has had two major losses of life. 51 people killed in this construction accident in one, at one time, and then 46 killed with this bridge collapse. And then it says, Was there a connection to the Mothman? Not long after the bridge collapsed, some people began to wonder if the mysterious arrival of the bird-like creature that was now known as Mothman had been a sign of impending doom. What made the theory plausible to many was the simultaneous appearance of an even stranger being in a city not far from Point Pleasant. On the night of November, of November 2nd, 1966, Woodrow Derenberger was returning from a sales call in Marietta, so that was just about a year before this bridge collapse. Ohio, to, in his, to his home in nearby Mineral Wells, West Virginia. Woody, as he was known, had driven the same stretch of I-77 more times than he could count. This night, however, would be one he would never forget. Derenberger was being extra cautious that night due to a sudden downpour of pounding rain. Cars were passing him, but he took no notice. That is, until one vehicle blew by him, only to swerve in front of his car before coming to an abrupt stop. Now, he talks about this in the in that um, interview that he did that I've linked to, and says this car zipped around him, and the this UFO was like uh, falling, I believe, and then he has this He has this encounter, so it's not hard to imagine that people people witnessed him having this encounter. It says, Forced to a screeching halt, Derenberger found his progress blocked by something he had never seen before. He would later describe the craft that he cut him off as resembling an old-fashioned kerosene lamp chimney and drawings that had been rendered since the incident. The object looks like a stingray and a narrow set of wings. Whatever the impatient driver had been... whatever. The impatient driver had been commandeering that night. It had not been like any car on the market in 1966, according to Derenberger. It had hovered above the roadway, not on it. He could not recall it ever touching down on the pavement. So you see, it looks like what he actually saw was, when when they're describing it this way, is that he's driving along this, the, the craft, the UFO that he sees, actually zips in front of him, Overhead, basically, and that's when he sees the lights, thinking that it's a police, uh, a police car up ahead or an ambulance or something. But what it is is actually this UFO. It wasn't a car that passed him; it was this UFO that went around him, over the top of him. And it's traveling so fast, he probably loses track of it. And then he sees the lights up ahead. Then he stops. Then this entity gets out of that craft and walks up to his car. His window's up; it's covered in rain, and he motions to the guy to roll the window down. And that's when he begins his conversation with him. It says as Derenberger watched a man slowly exit the vehicle and approached his truck, once the man was clear of the craft, it had lifted higher was clear of the craft, it had lifted higher into the air and remained there, floating approximately forty feet above the ground. So this craft darts in front of Derenberger, drops this entity off, then raises up into the air. It says the man who was now within a few feet of Derenberger's driver's side door was described as having a dark complexion, standing about six feet tall with long black hair, which he had worn slick black away from his face. He sported a metallic blue suit, and a grin that spared that spread from ear to ear. Now, in the in the uh, interview, Derenberger describes this as a hard fabric. This the strange metallic blue suit that this guy has on. He, said he wouldn't really call it a uniform, but he said he would call it a hard fabric. something Not like something we would have here. Derenberger knew that he should have been frightened by the sight of this stranger, but he wasn't. He went on to report that the man spoke to him, but not with words. Instead, he had communicated telepathically. The man assured Derenberger that he meant not to, meant no harm to him. He described himself as a visitor from another dimension. That's interesting. Another, not another planet another dimension, who was curious about the planet Earth and its inhabitants. He introduced himself simply as Cold. It goes on it says after questioning Derenberger about the surrounding area, specifically the city at Parkersburg, the man then bid Derenberger farewell. Before leaving he had specifically asked the encounter to be made public. He communicated that he wanted people to be aware that visitors from his planet were among them. He added that they had been quietly mingling with earthlings for some time. That's extremely interesting to me, because this is an idea that's been uh, hypothesized for a long time now, that maybe these things are walking among us. It says, With that, Cole returned to the craft that awaited him. It lowered itself It lowered itself as he climbed aboard. Derenberger watched as the vehicle rose into the night sky and disappeared, shaken and dazed by the events of the night, he then made his way home. It goes on, it says, When Derenberger arrived home, his wife could immediately sense that something was wrong. Even so, she was not prepared for the story that he had to tell her as he set her down and related his experience with the man known only as Cold, And outla- as outlandish as the story was, Derenberger's wife had not doubted it for a moment. She, would clearly, she could clearly see that something life-altering had happened to him that night. Seuss suggested that he call the police. While dialing the telephone, Derenberger's hands began to shake so violently that he had to hand the receiver to his wife. She recounted the story she had just heard to authorities. She was informed by the police officer on duty that there was the that, that hers was a third call he had received that night describing strange occurrences in the area. So see there were reports of this saying before Derenberger made his famous interview. So You know, they couldn't say, well, copycat effect. Well, how is there a copycat effect if you have three independent reports before anybody knows about it? It says, what did Derenberger's encounter with cold cold spread like wildfire throughout the community? The local television affiliate requested that he sit down for an interview. Upon his arrival at the station, he realized that the media weren't the only ones interested in his story. Derenberger soon found himself face-to-face with representatives from the United States Air Force, law enforcement, and local and the local airport. Everyone was lining up to hear what Derenberger had to say. So the author continues and says, In front of a captive audience, the mild-mannered sewing machine salesman went over the events of November 2nd. Newspaper and television outlets were hanging on his every word. That night, his story would hit the local papers and blanket the airwaves. Soon, it would be national news. It's interesting to listen to that interview that I've got linked there. He just goes through things so matter-of-factly. It says that being identified previously as cold was now being called the Grinning Man by the media. People far and wide couldn't get enough of the story. Derenberger's life and the lives of his family would never be the same. The, firestone, the firestorm had begun. Then she says witnesses began to come forward almost immediately to claim that they too had seen the strange hovercraft on the night of November 2nd. Unexplained lights that burned brightly in the sky only to suddenly vanish before the eyes of spectators were also, repeatedly seen that, were also reportedly seen that evening. Now, of course, we know that when he called in the police station to report his experience, that his wife said they were told three other people had already called in. It says, most of the townspeople who chose to tell their tales wish to remain anonymous, they didn't want to invite a media circus or public scrutiny into their lives. Well, they didn't want to be depersoned. For, Wood, for Woodrow Derenberger, it was already too late. His name had been made public, and people from all over were coming out of the woodwork to get a piece of him. Derenberger claimed that he had begun receiving telepathic communications from Cold on a regular basis shortly after their initial encounter. He said that a funny feeling would come over him just before a voice entered his head. During his interactions with Cold, Derenberger would always be reassured that he was in no danger. Cold repeated that he only wished to observe and learn from his human confidant. On one occasion, Derenberger returned home from work to find his mysterious friend, who by now had given his full name as Indrid Cole, waiting for him in the backyard. This time, however, he had not come alone. He had brought along his navigator, who he introduced as Carl Ardos. Cole had sensed that Mrs. Derenberger was frightened of him, so he did not attempt to enter the home on that visit. He and Ardos remained outside outside for hours in spite of the chilly weather. They communicated to Derenberger that they were visitors from the fourth dimension, they describe their home planet, Lanolus, as being very similar to Earth. Now, it's interesting that he specifically says the fourth dimension. As if we don't know how many dimensions there are. Maybe there's 15 or 20 for all we know. But he's telling us the fourth dimension. Notice he's not saying they came from another planet in a distant galaxy some way. He said he came from another planet, but it's in another dimension. The extraterrestrials claim that life on landless mirrored that on Earth in many ways. For example, just like humans, his people married and raised families. Gold himself said that he was this, that he was the father of two children, with a third on the way. He said that his planet had oceans and rivers, fields just like Earth. There were, however, some distinct differences on Landless, residents live well past 100 years of age although they eventually died it wasn't unusual to live for nearly two centuries he described his people as peace-loving with no knowledge or hate of violence wars were unheard of or in wars were unheard of in their world they had no political system choosing instead to govern themselves so I'm just assuming you know th- this brings a lot of questions to how they divided the resources, or if there was just so much of everything that they didn't need to divide the resources. It's almost as if these people were so advanced that they uh, were just like, uh, I don't know, almost like children being taken care of. Everything's provided for them, apparently. Very, very weird. It says, after some initial hesitation... Mr. Darren had finally allowed Endred COVID into her home. She would later corroborate her husband's claims that the family had played host to travelers from the planet Lanneless. Over time, Cold would become a frequent house guest. And What would she have to gain from saying that if it wasn't true? Endred Cold explained that he and others like him could only remain on Earth for short periods of time. According to him, the people of Lanneless aged in reverse if they stayed away from their home planet for too long. If they overstay their restrictions, they risk losing their memories, such as an such an event would render them unable to operate the craft that would return to Lanolos. He went on to say that this was the reason that his visits only lasted for a few hours at a time. That's wild. So imagine if you were an old if you were an old person on this planet, you could just I expose check into Earth for a while and, and reverse your and reverse age. That might be immortality for them. I guess he explains some of these visits that we get. The Derenbergers had become local celebrities seemingly overnight. They would soon learn that all the glitters is not gold. Soon the family would long to have their old lives back. The trouble started with unsolicited phone calls at all hours of the day and night. Some would simply hang up some would simply be hang up calls, where others would be people claiming that they were in fact injured cold. Many of the anonymous callers would ridicule or tease whoever answered the phone. The Derenbergers would Changed their numbers several times over the ensuing years, but the harassment continued unabated. You know, you have to wonder who's harassing them. They're changing the numbers. You would expect the harassment to, to slow down for a little bit in between that number getting back out or being published in the phone book. It's, it, it seems very sinister to me. On one occasion, two trespassers hid in the trees on Derenberger's property, hoping to catch a glimpse of Enter Cole. They had even armed themselves in the event of a confrontation. The pair would later claim they had witnessed a large black car pull into the driveway as they watched a man dressed in black that exited the vehicle and approached Woodward Dinterberger. The two men had spoken for several minutes before the man in black returned. Before the man in black, not man, man in black returned to the car and drove away. There would be no spaceship or visitors from faraway planets that day for the alien, for the would-be alien hunters. The whole day had been a disappointing waste of time. Derenberger's claims seemed, at least, a bit outlandish. He wouldn't he would go missing for long periods of time, only to turn up with stories of how he had been taken by spaceship to Lanilus. While there he said that he had spent time with many of the planet's residents. They had been friendly and welcoming, just, just as Cole had described. These new claims were met with more scepticism than Derenberger had anticipated. The media blitz and hail of public scrutiny that followed proved to be too much for Mrs. Derenberger. She divorced her husband in 1967. Woodrow Derenberger's life would continue in a downward spiral as he subsequently lost his job and just about everything that he had dear, that he held dear. Following the demise of his marriage, Derenberger moved away from Mineral wells in an effort to leave the past behind. His only wish was to start life over again and over again, someplace far away from the prying eyes of curiosity seekers and reporters. Their frenzy over Indrid Cold eventually died down but was never entirely forgotten. Woodrow Denberger re- remarried and returned to the Parkerbergs area to settle down and live out the rest of his days. He was still viewed by many as an oddity. After all, he was someone who had claimed to have had a telepathic connection to a being from another dimension. At one point, possibly doubting his sanity, Denberger had consulted with a local psychiatrist. The doctor, who could find no evidence of mental illness or any other psychosis, that, could, that would have explained his unwavering belief in the being known as Endred in, Cold. Curiously, shortly after his session with Derenberger, the psychiatrist claimed to have had communication with someone who identified himself as Endred Cold. The nature of their contact was never made public, but it is known that, according to the psychiatrist, the conversation had taken place not in person or by phone, but telepathically. Throughout all of this upheaval in his life, Woodrow Derenberger maintained an ongoing relationship with Ender Cold. Their intergalactic, I would say interdimensional there, connection had taken a toll on Derenberger, not only personally, but also physically. Following any communication from Cold, Derenberger would suffer a blinding migraine headache that would leave him temporarily incapacitated. Even so, he remained receptive to the messages for the remainder of his life. Woodrow Derenberger passed away in 1990 at the age of 74, so, this stuff all started, see, when he's about 50, 51 years old. Not once in the years that followed his first encounter with Indrid Cold did he voice any regrets about his, about their meeting. Despite losing his family, livelihood, home, and reputation, he had stood by his story. According to those close to him, Derenberger and Cold never lost contact with one another. And then the author goes on to say, it, it has long been speculated by some that Ender-Cold and Mothman were somehow connected. Their initial sightings were within 100 miles of each other and only days apart. Still, if they really did exist, the motives for their visits seemed to be on different sides of the spectrum. Cold, according to Der- according to Woodward Derenberger, was simply a visitor from another planet who was interested in learning about the people of Earth. He did bring misfortune to one family, but not intentionally. He had, pos- If he had possessed ulterior motives... Derenberger would surely have known and sounded the alarm. In contrast, tragedy followed on the hills of the appearance of Mothman. It was it merely a coincidence that the Silver Bridge collapsed in the months following the mysterious creature's arrival at Point Pleasant? Some people believe that this entity's arrival was an omen of the disaster which lied ahead. Others claim that Mothman was soon was seen on the bridge just before it collapsed, so many stories have arisen following the happenings of Point Pleasant and the Parkersburg area in 1966 and 67 that finding the answers to the multitude of questions is nearly impossible. It is, in the end, up to each of us to decide for ourselves what we believe. Now she goes on and she says that she does believe that that uh, Derenberger saw something because of all the evidence and the fact what her dad had told her and and the witnesses at that time scene. As for the Mothman, it seems like she more or less believes that this could have been a sandhill crane. They apparently get blown off course from time to time. They're very large birds, and they got these kind of red uh, spots on both sides of their faces. They think, well, maybe somebody saw these. They were, you know, a kind of an excited state, and that's and that's what it was. Myself, I don't know because we have to we have to we have to consider these Mothman uh, encounters. In the context of the ones that were seen in Chicago back in 2009 and 2012, I believe, there's, there was about three of them there. They were all very similar and they were they were specifically described as large, make six foot to eight foot tall men with with uh, six to eight foot wingspans, maybe ten foot wingspans, uh, sitting there in a crouched position. I think one was on a fence, one was in a tree, maybe one standing. Uh, these What they were describing were clearly not sandhill cranes. So I, I lend toward the fact that these mothmen that were that were seen back in 1966 and just around that time frame were more of a, almost more of an evil presence, very foreboding, let's say. And they were, and the mothman apparently was also reportedly seen on the bridge there that collapsed. 46 people died. A very close association between these mothman sightings and this very uh, extreme, tragic occurrence. Whereas the inter- the injured cold fellow. This is one of these cases where uh, you have uh, these curiosity-seeking type aliens uh, coming into our dimension, into our plane, who could have truly been here just to observe. Uh, you know, all this, all this taken into account, when we think about the personality that's described, this Indrid cold it doesn't seem like he wants to hurt anybody, and makes you wonder why are we shooting these things down out of the sky without finding out first what their intentions are. So I thought both of these stories were really uh, fascinating. They both took place at the at about the same time in the same time frame, right in the same close geographic area, within a hundred miles. And as she said, they're both on opposite ends of the spectrum. You have the Mothman, this very frightening, uh, almost evil in- entity appearing, and and then you have this Andrew Cole, who's uh, appears to be trying to be trying to present themselves at least as a human, and. Uh, in a very non-threatening way, asking simple questions and trying to form this friendship with another human over this long period of time. In both cases, um, the destruction in the one case was the 46 people who lost their life in that bridge, and maybe the 51 who lost their life on that and that construction accident. They seem to be associated with these terrible, uh, ac- these terrible tragedies. On the other hand, uh, the tragedy was the fact the, the social depersoning of Mr. Uh, uh, both two really cool cases, Mothman and Cold. I'll leave links at the Buy Me a Coffee website. Check it out. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out.